All right, well, happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there and to all the women. We're so grateful for you. We are better and smarter because of you, I promise. And so a couple things. We've got some gift cards we're going to hand out. Also, for all the moms or moms-to-be, or really if you're just a female, you are welcome to grab a My Favorite Muffin on your way out, and don't forget the photo wall. And so I don't know if I'm allowed to say this or not because I don't know if I'm just going to get in trouble for this. Um, so we're going to give away some gift cards, but the first one is... Um, who has been a mother the longest? All right, so this is the one I don't know if I'm getting in trouble for because that basically means you're old. And so, uh, so who's been a mother the longest? And so has anybody been a mother for more than 30 years? Right? Raise your hand. Yay, 30 years. All right, how about 40 years? 45 years? 50 we have 150? We got 50. All right, come on up and get your gift card. Do we have more than one? We have two of them? Oh, okay, here we go. All right, how about, we got to do 51. 59. Can you beat 59, Beverly? Can you be? Okay, here you go. Here's your gift card. Somebody, uh, yeah. That's okay. She doesn't have to. She's been long that long. She doesn't need to. All right. Okay, so, so this is the opposite side of it. Who's been a mom for the least amount of time, all right? So anybody a mom less than three months? Six months? Seven months? Eight months? Eight months. There we go. This is for you right there. All right. This is the next one. What mom just needs a cup of coffee? Right here? All right. We're going to do this. Whoever gets it. There you go. I don't know where that's going. We'll drive it over here. There we go. Oh, like a ninja. There we go. All right. Make sure you get your favorite muffin on your way out and the photo wall. So we are in the second week of this series, Better, and I'm super excited about the stuff that we're going to cover uh, the next couple of weeks. And so um, one of the things that I love is I love stories. Um, I love to tell stories. I love to hear stories. Uh, I love movies because of the stories they tell. I love to read books because of the stories they tell. And I think that's something we all have in common. Now, we may like different types of stories, but most of us like stories. And, and we like stories where um, sometimes, like, the person that's involved in the story does something embarrassing. You guys like fail videos? Okay, like when people do something and they're doing a story, uh, especially when it's a friend uh, or somebody you know. We all have friends that have those famous epic stories of they were doing something and then something kind of traumatic or crazy kind of happened. And so I love to hear those stories. Um, I love to hear embarrassing stories uh, that people tell of things that they've done. They're just kind of embarrassing. Uh, and I love to hear especially certain people tell stories. Um, there are people in my life that when they tell a story, I just listen. I don't know where the story's going to go. I don't know what's going to be said. One of my favorite storytellers, he's not here, and I didn't ask permission to use his name, but I'm going to anyway. Uh, if you guys know Sean Bridges, does anybody know Sean Bridges? When Sean Bridges, well, of course, Tabby's like, yeah, that's your son-in-law. Of course you know him. Uh, so when Sean starts telling a story, I just listen. I have no idea what the story is going to be about, where it's going to go, and it's almost always worth it to hear him tell a story. But I love stories. Or maybe you have stories in your family, stories from your childhood, uh, stories that your grandparents told or your parents told, um, legendary stories. Uh, my family, um, we used to go on these vacations, and uh, my, my mom won't fly and so we had to drive everywhere. So we, we've driven most of the United States. And so we would get in a car, and we would take two-week vacations, and we would just get in the car, and we would go on, on these trips, you know. 
and my dad, uh, my dad passed away several years ago, but my dad, when we vacationed with him, and I'm not making this up. I could sit here and tell you stories for the next three hours, and you'd be like, okay, stop telling the stories. You ever seen National Lampoon's Vacation? <laughs> that was my dad on vacation, and there are so many stories. I remember one, we were, we were driving down the street. We were in Charleston, South Carolina, and we were looking at the, the, uh, the row of houses they have down there. It's all different colors. And so we're driving down the street for probably like two or three miles. And, and I'm only like 17 at the time. And so I'm sitting there and I'm watching it. I'm dad, I said, dad, have you noticed that all the cars are facing the other way? And, 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 it, and like it just kept going. And like we just kept driving down the street. He's like, it's fine, it's fine. And sure enough, we drove down this one-way street for who knows how long. And, and he was like, what, well, stupid, they made it a one-way street. You know, just like, this, this is my dad, you know. But the story, that's, just the, that's, that's one of the G-rated ones I can tell. So, um, but I love stories. Um, but the thing about stories, especially the embarrassing stories or the stories that we love to hear, what's crazy about those is when those things are happening, you don't realize that's a story that people are going to tell, right? You're just living in the moment. It's just something that's happening in the moment. It's just living in the now, and then later it becomes a story. Now, some of these stories we tell because they're funny. Some of the stories that, that are part of our life we don't like to tell because they're a little embarrassing. Some of the stories are kind of hard to get through. And so, but we all have these stories in our life, these epic events, these epic things that happen to us. And eventually, we tell these stories. And sometimes we tell these stories because it's a great story. Sometimes we tell these stories because we're in counseling and we need to work through these stories. And sometimes it gets to the point where these are just stories we just have to talk about because of the way they impacted our life. We write our story of our life, one decision and one event at a time. And we talked about last week that life is essentially a series of decisions that we make that pile up until it gets to where you are. That's what your life is. That's what my life is. It's a series of decisions, a series of moments where we had choices to make, and we write the story of our life one decision at a time. Now, last week, we opened with this verse from Proverbs chapter 27, and it says this, a prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. So essentially, when you're going along in life, when you're writing your story, when you're making choices, when you're living these things out, a prudent person would see something, okay, and they say, okay, I need to, I need to stop here for a second and think about where this is going to go. I need to think about what's going to happen if I make this choice right now. And they take precaution, okay? And sometimes a prudent person chooses to go a different direction. And then it says this, and I love this word, the simpleton, the nice way of saying stupid person or a fool, goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. Which means that sometimes what happens is we have these choices where the person doesn't think about the consequence and they just go on and they may even know, but us watching can see that this isn't going to go well and there's going to be consequences because of this choice. The way we worded it last week is some people only focus on the immediate while others focus on the ultimate. Which means when it comes to your life, there are people, maybe it's you, and in different seasons of life, it's been me, I'll tell you that. I'm only focused on the immediate, not the ultimate. But remember, we're writing our story decision by decision. And so we introduced a question last week, and we said this, am I being honest with myself? So when it comes to making a choice, okay, figure out, are you being honest with yourself in that moment when you're making the choice? Why am I making this choice? Why am I going here? Why am I doing this? Why am I saying this? Are you being honest with yourself? And that is the best question you could ask sometimes is just, are you being honest with yourself? 
And I hope since we met last time that some of you have been doing that. The second question that we're going to talk about today, and this is all based on a book that I read called Fewer, uh, Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets a couple years ago. Um, the second question is this. This is about the story that you want to tell. And here's how it goes, okay? When your life is nothing more than a story that you tell, what story do you want to tell? Or, or a better way to say it is, when your life is nothing more than a story other people tell. Because the reality is, eventually all of us are not going to be here, and all that's going to remain as us is the stories of our life. And so, when we get to the point when all we are is a story that people tell, what stories are they going to tell? And here's the hard part, if they even tell our story at all. Because some of us live lives in a way when it's a story that's easy to forget or it's a story worth forgetting because of the things and the choices and things that happen. Do you want to be a good example? All right, parents, moms, do we want to be a good example? Do we want to be able our kids to tell stories about us and the way they influenced us and stories of how they made us better and shaped us into better people? Or do we want to be the bad example? And so when your story is nothing more than a story that your children tell, your grandchildren tell one day, what story will they tell? And here's the good news, and here's why we're talking about this in this series. Um, you get to decide, right? It's your choice. It's not somebody else's choice. It's your choice. It's my choice. It's my choice, and it's your choice. What story will eventually be told about us? But we decide one decision at a time. Now, you know this, and we've talked about this, but we're just going to keep saying it over. Every decision you make has an outcome. Every decision you make has a consequence. Good or bad, desirable or undesirable, every single one of them has a, has a consequence. Something happens because of these stories that we tell. Okay, and, and let's be honest. Some of us, when we think about that, it's hard to think about that. Because even to this point in our story, there are parts of our story we wish we could skip. There are parts of our story that when it comes to that part of our story, we, we tend to kind of fudge the details a little bit, right? For some of us, we're even tempted to lie about some of the details. And the reality is you don't want that to be a part of your story, do you? I don't want that to be a part of my story where I have to lie or make things up because I'm embarrassed or I don't want people to know about that part of my story. And so when it comes to your story, what, part of your, what story do you want people to tell? The other thing is this, and we're going to talk about this today a lot, is this. The parts of our story that we don't like to talk about the parts of our story where we kind of look back and we say, I wish I'd made a different choice. A lot of the reasons that we made those choices is, again, we've already covered. We were only thinking about the immediate, not the ultimate. But the second thing is this. They were emotional decisions, weren't they? They were decisions where we got caught up in the moment and the emotions of the moment led us down that direction. Emotions, when it comes to decision making, are like a fog. It's hard to see. When we're emotionally charged when it comes to making decisions, it's hard to see the long term of what's going to happen because of this choice. It's hard to see that. And here's the other thing that we know, okay, because we make so many emotionally charged decisions, right? There are very few emotionally neutral decision-making environments, aren't there? Most of the choices we make and that I make come down to an emotionally charged environment, all right? And so how do we make better choices? How do we, will we overcome that? Psychologists we talked about last week have a name for this. It's called cognitive bias. We talked about it a lot last week. But there's a part of cognitive bias that's called focalism. 
Focalism is the idea. Cognitive bias, is we talked about last week, is when you, you kind of, if you want to make a choice, there could be a million reasons why you shouldn't make that choice, but all you need is one because that's the choice you already wanted to make. And so cognitive bias is this idea where you're biased towards that, and so you just focus on that one thing because that's what you want. You know, we talked about last week. Nine out of your ten friends may say, don't date him, Right? But one does, and you're like, that's the one I'm going to listen to. She's the smartest. He's the smartest, right? And so that's what kind of biases. Now, focalism gets even more hyper-focused. It's essentially the idea that when you are in focalism, all right, all you see is that option. You don't even see the other options. All you see is this is the choice that I have to make. And too many times when we get hyper-focused, when we have cognitive bias and focalism, we end up making that choice. Now, here's what you have to do. When you feel that coming on, if you feel it coming on, rather than being a green light, that should be a red flag. When you refuse to see any other option other than the one you're about to make, that should be a red flag, not a green light. Now, the Bible talks a lot about decision-making because God cares about the choices that we make, but we're going to look at one specific story. That's a story that most of you are familiar with. I've preached through this story before. If you've grown up in church, you've probably heard this story. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you've probably heard parts of this story, but it takes place in the Old Testament. It's a story of a guy named Joseph, all right? Now, Joseph's life is very fascinating in all of the details that happen. Now, when we pick up Joseph's story, it's around 1800 BC, and he's a teenager. He, he's a kid. Okay, and he finds himself in a no-win situation. His father, his father's name is Jacob, loved him more than all of his other brothers, okay, which kind of makes him a bad dad because you should love your kids equally. But he loves Joseph even more, but it's not like, you know, like secretly you still have a favorite. Like he makes it obvious to everybody that Joseph is his favorite. Part of the reason that Joseph is his favorite is not because of anything else the other brothers have ever done. It's because Joseph's mother was his favorite wife, which is a bad sentence, by the way, right? <laughs> that the reason it's his favorite is because it's his favorite wife's child, okay? Not a good way to start off a relationship. All right, so this fueled the jealousy of his 10 other brothers, and it eventually gets to the point the jealousy gets the best of them, and they decide they're going to kill Joseph. And in the end, they lose their nerve to kill him because what they realize is it's more profitable for them to sell him, all right? And so they sell him to slave traders, and then they go and they tell their dad that their favorite son was killed by a wild animal. Now, there's a lot more details to that story, but that's kind of the general overview of the beginning of the story. So it doesn't start out great, okay? But, but here's the thing, and here's what I want to focus on as we talk about this idea of making these choices and stories we tell. The thing that I pulled from this is this. Those 10 brothers, those guys that were only thinking about the immediate and not the ultimate, they now have a chapter in their life that they will be embarrassed to tell. They were jealous of their younger brother, and so they beat him up and sold him into slavery. There were 10 of them and one of him, and he's your brother. Like, who wants to tell that story? But see, they were only thinking about the immediate, not the ultimate. And then they have to go back and they have to tell their dad whom they love. In fact, part of the jealousy is because they love their father so much that they all want to be the favorite. And so they have to go tell their father whom they love. They have to break their father's heart and tell them that his favorite son has been killed. 
That is not a good story. And here's the other thing. Joseph's brothers are now liars for life. Don't ever make a decision that makes you a liar for life. And here's why. Whatever they gain in the moment, whatever you gain in the moment of that choice, if it makes you a liar for life, you will be forced to carry that with you into the moments that follow. And you will continue to live in the pain and agony of that choice. Don't ever make a choice that makes you a liar for life. So back to Joseph. Joseph ends up on the auction block. He's been sold into slavery in Egypt, and he's purchased by a guy named Potiphar. Now, Joseph has a choice to make, okay? He's been sold into slavery. Now, he grew up, let's be honest, a rich kid. He grew up the favorite of a rich father. He's not used to this type of environment. And so here, here's this moment where he's now sold into slavery. And so what is this kid going to do? And here's what's fascinating about this story. None of this is his fault. Somebody else took control of his story. See, we're writing a story decision by decision, but what happens when you don't have control of your story? What happens when somebody else takes control of your story? Because that's what happens here. His story, like parts of many of our stories, have been hijacked by people, by bad people, by selfish people. See, life is a series of choices, but some of us, we feel like we never had a choice. Some of us, we feel like our choices were robbed because of what other choices other people were making. And here's what's happening with Joseph. Like his, his story is now out of his control. So what's he going to do? And it would be easy at this point for Joseph to give up. It would be easy for Joseph to be like, you know, why care, right? Because I don't have control of this. And that's always the temptation when someone else decides our story in a bad direction is who cares? Let's just keep going in this direction. But Joseph chooses something else. He refuses to throw his hands up and let fate have its way. Instead, he decides to rewrite part of this story. And so he's sold into slavery, which we've talked about before. Like Paul, when he writes his letters, it's often he's like writing in prison. Okay, anytime you're telling a story and part of that includes while you're in slavery, not a good story. But he goes into this guy Potiphar's house and, and Joseph makes a decision. He's going to be the best servant. He's going to serve as best as he can. And he's going to treat Potiphar's household as if it was his own. And eventually Potiphar notices and he gives Joseph even more responsibility. Now, I'm paraphrasing several chapters here. You should go back and, and read your Bibles. It's taking place in Genesis 37, 38, 39. And he eventually gives Joseph even more responsibility. In fact, it gets to the point that Potiphar, he trusts Joseph, his slave, so much that he puts him in charge of his entire household. That every decision that's going to be made in his household goes through Joseph. I mean, think about this story. This is a story worth telling. He was kidnapped by his brothers was almost beaten to death, but then sold into slavery twice, right? I mean, he's the victim, but he chooses, and here's the point, he chooses not to be the victim. This is the story that Joseph is going to write, and against all of the odds, he's going to take control of the story that's being written about him. And so he finds himself in this position where he's in charge as a slave of Potiphar's household. He can do whatever he wants. He's living the good life as best as you can for his position. And then his story intersects with someone else's story. And this is Potiphar's wife. And I love this story because I know it's Mother's Day. Um, but the reason I love this story is because finally it's a story where the woman is the pig, not the man. All right? <laughs> and so... 
Potiphar's wife, she, she, she insists that Joseph, this 17, 18, 19-year-old strapping kid, becomes her lover, and probably not her only other lover, but one of her many lovers, more than likely. And, and Joseph has two outcomes. Remember, he's 19, 20 years old. And Potiphar's gone a lot. I mean, we kind of see these details in the story. Potiphar's not around. That's why Joseph's basically running the house. And so Potiphar's wife throws herself at Joseph. 19, 20-year-old kid. Right? Guys, you remember being 19, 20 years old? And here's this woman throwing herself at him. And he's got a choice to make. Right? He's got a decision to make. He can buy into this. He can go along with this. And the reality is more than likely nobody's ever going to know, right? This is going to be a fling. It's going to be a sad thing. And after all, like if Potiphar really cared, he'd be around more. But Joseph is writing a story. And he's also telling a story that deserves to be told. See, see the reality is, is this. If Joseph had given into this temptation... What kind of story is that? And do you think that we'd be telling the story right now? It would just be another guy that did another stupid thing. But Joseph has a different story that he wants to tell. And so he looks at Potiphar's wife, and he kind of, I'm going to paraphrase this because it's kind of a long response, but he essentially says to her, he says, I came into this land as a slave, and I had no rights, I had no future. Your husband purchased me, and did my, I did my best to serve him. And through my hard work and diligence, and through God's help, I've gained the trust of your husband. He's put me in charge of his entire household. And essentially what Joseph's saying is, my story is getting better. Even though some people tried to hijack it, my story is getting better. And I'm in control of the story that I'm writing decision by decision. And then he, he says this, and this is what comes from the Bible. He says this in 39.8. He says he refused. So he refuses her. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns has been entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. Implication, Mrs. Potiphar, you're writing a story. Is this the story that you want to tell? You're his wife, and you're throwing yourself at his slave. Is this the story that you want to tell? Or do you want to tell a better story? Because I want to tell a better story. In light of all that's happened, in light of your husband's confidence in me, like how could he do this? And then he says this, and he asks this question, verse 9. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Oh, the God that allowed your brothers to sell you into slavery? The God that allowed you to now be a slave in an Egyptian's household? The, the God that, that now is, has this woman throwing herself? At, but see, we're going to get to something really important here in a second. Yeah, that seems like all the things that we would pay attention to, but, but Joseph's writing a story. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Now, I want to focus on that. Leave that slide up. So he tells her no. And you catch the next one. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, which means this wasn't a one-time thing, which means 
daily, daily, Joseph had to choose to write a better story. See, it's not like it's one of these things where you could just say, I'm going to write a better story. And one time you turn it down, you turn down the bad decision, the dumb decision. Daily, Joseph had to decide. Daily, you and I have to decide what choices we're going to make. You can't be like, it's Sunday, and that sermon was pretty interesting, and I want to make good choices, so I'm going to make better choices from here on out. And the rest of the day, you make good choices. Well, guess what? Tomorrow morning, she's going to be there. And the day after that, and the day after that, and the day after that. Last week, we talked about the idea that Jeremiah says that the human heart is deceitful and beyond cure. And so if you have something that is beyond cure, you have to daily focus on it. You have to daily think about it. You have to get on a regimen. It's not going to cure itself on its own. You daily have to do this. And this is what the story he's telling. He's saying that daily he has to do this. So he has two options. He can give in or he can keep writing the story that deserves to be told. Now, as most of you probably know, Joseph decides the better of the stories, and it costs him, which is a great question, isn't it? If it comes to writing the better story, are we willing to take the consequence even if it's bad, even if it's the harder of the two because it's the right thing to do? Because it's the better story. Because in the, the immediate, it's like, well, just go ahead and do it, Joseph, because then you won't have to face what you're about to face. But ultimately, if Joseph gives in, is this a story that any of us want to tell? And the answer is no. So Joseph, he gets accused of rape, and he's thrown into Pharaoh's dungeon for doing the right thing. The better thing. And at this point in the story, I think that most of us would just give up, wouldn't we? Now again, his story has been hijacked. He has no control of this. But the reality is, is Joseph's story wasn't over. And neither is your story. And neither is my story. It doesn't matter what choices we've made up until this moment. Our story is not over. And though we find ourselves often in long, difficult seasons or long, difficult chapters, remember, it's just a chapter. It's just a part of the story. It doesn't have to be the end. And it's oftentimes our responses in the difficult chapters, not the easy ones, that make it the story we're telling, isn't it? It's not the easy stuff. It's not the easy choices. It's the difficult choices that determine how our story will end. What's crazy is this, is is you can live a good life, but your final moments can overshadow your finest moments. And so Joseph has to continue to make the better choice. Now, if you're familiar with Joseph's story, you know that while he was in prison, Joseph did the same thing at the dungeon he did in Potiphar's house. And eventually he wins the favor over of the prison warden. This is insane, right? And eventually it gets to the point where he's in charge of the prison. You ever heard of the inmates running the asylum? Joseph gets to the point where he's in charge of the prison. He is running the place because he's so trustworthy and he keeps making the better decision, the better choice over and over and over and over again. And it gets to the point that several years later, and don't let that slip by, several years later, 
Potiphar's wife day after day comes to him. Several years later, which means daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, Joseph has to make the choice. And so do you. Several years later, he finds himself being ushered into the Pharaoh's presence because the Pharaohs had this dream that he believed was significant and nobody can interpret it. And if you know the story, eventually it gets to this point where we find out that Joseph can interpret dreams. It's a part of the story early on. It's part of the reason his brothers were jealous of him. And he eventually gets to this point where he's interpreting this dream. And so he's standing before Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world at this point. And there's this dream that he needs to interpret. And do you know what Joseph says to Pharaoh? I mean, it's almost unbelievable. He looks at the most powerful man in the world and he says, I can't interpret your dream. But God can. As in the God that's been so favorable to Joseph this far in the story, right? But God can, which is dangerous that you would look at a man that's the most powerful man in the world. Oh, and by the way, everybody viewed Pharaoh as a God himself. And you say, I can't interpret this dream, but God can. And fortunately, that day, Pharaoh is more curious than furious, and so he allows Joseph to continue. And Joseph interprets the dream, and he says that there's going to be this, this harvest, this unbelievable record-breaking years of harvest. But then eventually, there's going, to be, um, uh, there's going to be a famine. And so what we need to do is, because of this dream, we need to stave up all of this grain, because grain equals life. We talked about that a few weeks ago in their culture. And, and, and so grain equals life. So we need, to, we need to collect all of this grain as much as we can. And don't just eat it all. Store it up, because there's other famine that's going to come. And so he finishes interpreting the dream. And, and so everybody's standing in the room, and, and they don't know what to do with it. And, and, and so we think that's the end of the story, right? But it's not the end of the story, because Joseph then does the unthinkable. And he gives the Pharaoh unsolicited advice. And he says, hey, you know, my experience has been you're going to have to have somebody that can oversee all of this. You're going to have to have somebody that can, can take care of all this. You're going to have somebody that every single day can wake up and is focused on the problem and is trustworthy to take care of the problem. You want somebody that you can trust in charge of this. Pharaoh looks around the room. And he says, do you think we can find anybody like that that's trustworthy? And there's one guy in the room that's pretty trustworthy. His name is Joseph. And Joseph gets put in charge of this project. But Joseph, again, because every day he chooses the better story, the better choices, eventually it gets put to the point where he's in charge. And literally, there's this line that says that Pharaoh says, other than being the Pharaoh, you're in charge of everything. Because Joseph continued to make the better choice. And seven years later, as predicted, a famine devastates the region after seven years of good harvest. And Joseph opens up the federal grain silos and feeds the nation. And before long, people from all over the world are having to come to Egypt to get grain. Including Joseph's brothers. And when they arrive, they don't recognize him because he's changed so much. And who would have expected this, this kid that you beat up when he's 17 years old and you put into a pit and then sold into slavery now to be the most powerful man in the world outside of Pharaoh? And they don't recognize him 
But you know who does? Joseph recognizes his brothers. Because when people hurt us, we recognize, don't we? And we never forget. If you read the rest of the story of Genesis, eventually it gets to the point where Joseph kind of plays some tricks on his brothers, because you've got to play some tricks on these people, right? And then eventually he re- reveals to his brothers who he is. And they're speechless. The Bible says they're terrified and they beg for mercy. Joseph assures them that he's not here to seek revenge. Because that would be the wrong choice, right? I mean, we would all look at this story and say he has the right. I mean, think about all that they did to him. But that would be an emotional reaction. That would be bitterness. And that wouldn't be a good story, would it? So consequently, now he's one of the most powerful men in the world, writing a story that people will tell. And he has this great line. He looks at his brothers and he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Because it's a better story. And he decided that revenge would not be part of his story, that he would continue to make the better choice. Because Joseph understood that his story is a story that's built one decision at a time, one response at a time, which comes back to us. Our life and our story is being built and written one decision at a time, daily. The choices we make daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. And so here's the question. When your life is nothing more than a story that people tell, what story do you want them to tell? And if you haven't decided a good one up until this point, just remember, this is just a chapter. It's just a page. It's not the whole story. So here's the question. Am I being honest with myself? Really? And as I make the choices that I make, and I'm honest with myself, am I writing a story worth telling? Am I writing a story that one day, when all it is is a story that my children and my grandchildren, and if you're really lucky, your great-grandchildren tell, is it a story worth telling? Because we all want to do better. We all want to make better choices with fewer regrets. Let's pray.